We're starting a brand new series today called Hashtag Get Fit. And throughout this series, we're going to have a few different hashtags that uh, we're going to look at. But I'm going to ask a favor right at the beginning of this series uh, from you guys. For those of you who are on social media, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, uh, anything else that uses a hashtag, then uh, I'd be grateful if today and throughout this series, if you could just post something. Think and just say something like, uh, um, I am hashtag getting fit at uh, Generation Church, or just something like that, but use the hashtag, hashtag get fit. Because we're starting this brand new series today, and it's all about getting fit in our lives, getting in shape in our lives, conditioning our lives. Now, how many of you, football is your favorite sport? You want to raise your hand? Wow. So a lot more like, there's like two people first service. I'm like, a little weird. Like, you come to first service so you can go home and watch the football, right? But, uh, uh, but there weren't that many. How many of you, your favorite sport is baseball? No, only a couple. What about basketball? Yeah, good people. How about soccer? How many of you are favorite soccer? Yeah, people. Yeah, I love you guys. Who doesn't care about sport at all? Yeah, some of you, mainly the girls. Well, what do you expect? So anyway, so soccer is my favorite sport, hands down. When I was a, a little kid, I grew up and I had two dreams. One was to play soccer for the English national team. And number two, that I'd be part of the English national team that won the World Cup. Both of them are so far-fetched because I would never be able to play soccer for the English national team. I just wasn't good enough. And the fact that England will ever win the World Cup, it, it isn't going to happen. I've, I, I'm past that already. So, but soccer was my favorite sport. And when I was a little kid, I would always have a soccer ball just stuck to, to, to my feet. Anywhere I'd go, I'd be playing soccer. Uh, in my mom's house, uh, I broke plenty of windows and, uh, and, and just different like uh, things that she had out. Because I would always be kicking a soccer ball. And so I was always on a soccer team when I went to school. I was on the school soccer team. Our church had a soccer team. And so we were real progressive as a church. We had a soccer team. And I was on it. And then us kids, after church, we would always go downstairs. Our church, it was like an old school church, but it had this basement. And we would always go and play soccer. But it caused all these problems within the church because people didn't think that a church should be a place that you play soccer. So. So for those of you who are new to church, you won't understand this, but for those of you who are kind of old school, you won't understand back in the day, we had the deacon board, and there was one night that they had a special meeting, and the number one agenda on the meeting was, do we allow the kids to play soccer in the church, and we won by one vote. I mean, we were like celebrating, popping the champagne, well, no, not really, but but uh, but we were able to play, but we played soccer all the time. Now, now, at the age of 21, I had spent two years of not playing soccer. First time in my life, the longest I had ever spent up until that point. Um, and the reason was, is that I'd had a couple of injuries, and then I'd been in, in college, and I was also youth pastor in my father's church. And so just the combination of it all together, uh, I was just unable to devote some time to playing soccer. 
But I really wanted to get back into playing soccer. And so uh, there was a team that I wanted to join. One of my friends was part of this local men's team. And so I, 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 I kind of made some calls and, and, and to see if I could play with them. And there was like some training, a tryout and stuff. And, and I was about to do that. Then my friend called me on a Friday night. And he said, hey, Alex, he says, we, are, we got a big game tomorrow. And we are really short of players through some suspensions some injuries and some guys on vacation, we, 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 we need some players. Do you want to play? And, and, and I was like, yeah, I'll play. I jumped to the opportunity. I was like, then I don't have to go through the tryout or the training. I can just show them my skills and, uh, and, and they would want me. And so, uh, so, so I put the phone down. I went to the garage. I got my old soccer cleats out. I started shining them and polishing them. I don't know why, because they're just going to get dirty the next day anyway. But I was polishing them. I went to bed early that night because you know I had a big game the next day so I got up I drove to uh to to the pitch at the field where we were playing and went into the locker room and put my shin guards on put my socks on put my nice clean cleats on put the jersey on I was feeling I'm like I'm back in it I'm back in the zone people I'm like I'm gonna play awesome today so ran out onto the field it was a little cold and for about five minutes I was doing really well I was like all my memories of of playing soccer were coming back the ball on the foot like kicking it going into a tackle. It felt good. After about 30 minutes, I totally run out of steam. It was like one of these, like, <gasps> like one of those. I started feeling blisters form on my feet. At the end of the game, actually, I took my socks off and I was like, whoa. I mean, there was like some of the worst blisters I had ever seen. For 30 minutes, I puffed and, and huffed and I got through. But for the next 60 minutes, I was just like a zombie, like walking around the field, like where's the ball, you know, just like walking towards the ball. It ended up, we lost heavily. It was the worst game I had ever played in my life. The team didn't pick me up. They didn't ask me to join. I was gutted. And, 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 and the reality was, was this. Was I was actually better than the majority of people on that team. I was a better soccer player than the majority of people on that team. I actually, in my prime, in my prime conditioning, was so much fitter than all those other all those other people. When they were like huffing and puffing after 90 minutes, normally I, I had the lung capacity that I could just keep running and keep running and keep running. But the difference between them that day and myself wasn't my talent, but it was the fact that for the last two two years, the previous two years, I had not trained or conditioned my body to play soccer. I, I had underestimated in two years how unfit you can become. And us guys are guilty of this. You know, we get to an age like 35, 45, 55 and above. And we get out on the basketball court and we think that we can play just like we did at 18. We think we can run and dunk and we don't even hit the net. You know, I mean, the next day we wake up, our backs aching. And guys kind of tend to do that. We don't really think I'm not really in the condition to play. And that was the problem with that soccer game. And that was the problem with me that I was not fit. I had not realized how unfit I had become and that I thought I could compete at the same level as I always did when I was fully fit when the reality is I couldn't. 
And when it comes to this life and this journey of faith that we are all on, really, it's a type of soccer game. Whether you like soccer or not, it really is a type of soccer game. If you like football, you can put football in in this analogy. But the reality is this. The aim of a soccer game is to win. And really the aim in life is to win. And the way that we do that is by reaching goals. That's how we win, by reaching goals. Life, like a soccer game, is made up of two halves. First half and a second half. In the first half, everybody's energetic and ready to go. By the second half, everybody's just trying to conserve energy. We may be a little smarter in how we play during the second half than what we were in the first half. Life, like a soccer game, has risk and reward. There's times that you move forward. There's also times that you retract and you move back. There's times of excitement. But even being a soccer fan, I understand there's also times when life can be really boring as well. It can be mundane. It's like nothing is going on at all. There's times when you are winning and then there are times when you are losing. Now, like all great sports teams, there are those who are the great sports teams, the ones who build a dynasty that everybody tries, tries to be like, and then there's everybody else. And I think this morning, I'm going to share, I want to share three things that are the difference between the great teams and everybody else. And the first thing about this, about the great teams, is this. They have a great coach. They have a great coach. Their coach is a great tactician who can put a plan together of how to win any game. Their, their coach is someone who, who, who prepares the players for anything that may come their way during the game. So if they're going through a hard time during the, ta- the game, they can overcome that. The coach is the one with a perfect plan, a plan to win. The second thing about the greatest teams is this, is that the players are conditioned. The greatest teams often have the fittest players. They're the players who make the sacrifices so that they can condition their bodies so that that they can become great players, so that they are just as energetic at the end of the game as they were at the beginning of the game. They're the ones that don't go out partying on a Saturday night when they got a game on the Sunday. They're the ones that go to bed early. They're the ones who, who eat right. They're not the ones that go to McDonald's before the game, but they have a nice chicken salad before the game. They're they're the ones who the players are conditioned and they're the fittest. And then the final thing about the greatest teams is this. They actually have players who follow the coach's plan. You, You find in sports, especially professional sports, that there are so many talented people out there, talented athletes who are could be better than anybody else. But the majority of teams that win and do really well don't have a whole lot of talent on their team. They're the teams that come together and they follow the coach's plan. You you can be the most talented person out there, but if you don't follow the coach's plan and work with your teammates, then you're going to fail every single time. So those three things are, are three things of the greatest teams out there. So you may ask, Alex, what on earth has this got to do with church or with faith or with God? Well, the reality is this, is that I believe that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And it is a plan that is perfect. He is the great tactician. 
He is the one who can see the end from the beginning, can see your life, and he knows exactly the potential that there is in you and how much you can win in this life. And he prepares you for what is to come. He prepares you for the good times and he prepares you for the hard times and the bad times. That during this life there will be times when you are losing and he prepares you that you can cope with that. There's times when you will be winning and he prepares you for how you can cope with that. And while he is the almighty God, the one who has a perfect plan for your life, there is still something that you need to do as well. Like all players on a great team, you need to take care of your lives. Take care of yourselves and be willing to keep yourself fit so you can follow and actually do what God says to do. Not pursuing short-term pleasures at the expense of the long-term plan. We have to listen to God to follow what God says, his exact instructions. And when we do that, we will win in life. Now, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he mentored 12 guys, and they were called the disciples. When they, they, they were young guys at the time when Jesus mentored them. As they grew up, they started to do exactly what Jesus did, and they started to mentor other people. Some of them became great men of God. They wrote books in the Bible. I mean, you got Peter and John and James, and, and there's different books that they wrote to different churches, and they mentored people. And one of the guys was a disciple called John. John was the youngest disciple. He was often referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, when he got old, there was quite a few different books that he wrote. Or older, I should say. I shouldn't say old. I might offend somebody. When he got older, he wrote quite a few books. One of them was Revelation. I don't know if you've ever read Revelation, but it's just like, whoa, what just happened there? You know. Now, he wrote three other books. And there were books that were written to his friends and the people he was mentoring to encourage them. Now, he got really creative with the titles of these books. They are called 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. I mean, super creative right there. But in the book of 3 John, there is a letter that John writes to one of his friends that he is mentoring. And this is what he says. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the third book of John. If you don't know where it is, find the last book, Revelation, then go back. Then there's Jude, and then there's 3 John. 3 John, there's only one chapter, so verses 1 to 2 tells us this. This letter is from John, the elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, he said, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. I'll just read that last little line again. He says, I hope you are as well in body as you are strong in spirit. So John wrote this third letter of his to a friend of his called Gaius. Now from this book, we we, we discover that Gaius is doing great things for God. In fact, he is winning in life. Not like a Charlie Sheen winning, but literally winning in life. He, He is doing great things. He is leading people to Christ. He is discipling people. And, and, and people from the outside would look on Gaius and was like, man, he's doing great things. I want my life to be like Gaius's life. 
he had a strong sense of, uh, of love and commitment to God. His spirit was strong. But yet John had a concern. And the concern was this. He wasn't sure if Gaius was going to be able to make it long term. Not that Gaius had a bad spirit because he didn't. Gaius was a good guy. He loved God. But John was concerned for his physical well-being. John was concerned that the weight of life would weigh Gaius down too much. So John said to him, he says, I hope that you are keeping, uh, you are keeping your body and your life just as much as you are keeping your relationship with God. See, John put them on the same level together. So often in church, we, it's all about just, just our relationship with God. But yet, when our bodies fail, then we can't have that perfect relationship with God. This guy called the Apostle Paul wrote many books in the New Testament. And he had a young guy who he mentored. His name was Timothy. Timothy became a great pastor. He actually pastored a church in the city of Ephesus, which became this, this huge church. But the problem for Timothy is Timothy kept getting sick. He kept getting unwell. You've all got, always got that person at work, right? Who, like every like third week, they're off sick, you know? I mean, they're just sick all the time. It's just like, what is the deal? I mean, why are they always sick? And Timothy kept getting sick all the time. Actually, it was through some stomach issues. I don't know if he was drinking the water uh, or like all the, the parasites in the water or something. I don't know what was going on. But Paul was concerned because Timothy could not do what God had called him to do if he kept getting sick. And so Paul said this, and he wrote this. This was before we had like modern medicine, before we had some Tums, you know. He said this. He says, Timothy, he says, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake because you keep getting sick. He was concerned for his mentee because he could not fulfill what God had planned for his life while he was still getting sick. And this morning... We're doing this whole hashtag get fit series for a reason. Because as your pastor, I'm concerned for many of you. Not in a bad way, not that, 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 that you're living terrible lives and because you're good people. But I'm concerned for many of you because I'm not sure if many of you will make it long term. Because I think the pressures of life sometimes may weigh you down too much. See, my concern is this, is I'm worried about your conditioning in your life. I think some of you, you're being weighed down by juggling your finances each month. That, that just looking at your checkbook like the people who still have a checkbook. You know, you, you look at that and all your bank balances and it's just weighing you heavy down because you just don't know if you're going to be able to make it each month. Others, you've let your body go. And the reality is, is you're not as physically fit as what you used to be, meaning that you can't do the things that you used to be able to do. Maybe for those of you who are parents, you can't play with your kids as much as what you used to. Maybe for, for, for those uh, you're married, that maybe there's things that you can't do within your marriage because of your physical fitness. 
Maybe there's things that God wants you to do in life, but you know you can't do it because you've let your body go and you haven't taken care of your body. Maybe there's some of you, you've put things in your body that is knocking years off your life, 15, 20 years off your life. And your life, when it's going to be in the prime of your life, it may be cut short because of things that you've put in your body. Some of you, you may have stopped asking of God. You may have stopped asking God for things in your life or listening to God. Maybe your relationship with God has become more distant because you're not communicating with him as you once did. And then there may be some of you here today that you've let the problems of relationships overwhelm you. Maybe a marital relationship or a relationship with your kids or with other family members or friends or co-workers. And it's overwhelmed you so you're totally distracted from what the meaning of life really is. So over the next four weeks, what we're going to do, we're going to give you guys some biblical principles to help you in four areas. The areas of finances, the areas of, uh, uh, of just your physical body in the areas of prayer and communication with God, and in the areas of your relationships with other people. And through this, we're going to give some biblical principles to help you get fit and condition your life for the things that God has for you. Now, you may be here today and you may think, well, Alex, I don't need all that because I've got it all together. Like, I've got control of my finances. Like, I look like like my body is like a god. I'm a god or goddess with my body. You know, you may think uh, t- today, like, like my relationship with God is just perfect and everybody loves me. And if that's you, then I've got some advice for you. Go look at yourself in the mirror because you ain't all that. You know, none of us are all that. All of us have got issues and problems and we can learn from things. But then there may be some of you today and you may not even realize or think that the Bible can help you in some of those areas. You're like, I don't know if I can learn anything from this. Well, if that's you today, I want to share a story with you. And it's a story about a guy called Jeremiah. Not the Amish dude who lives up in Lancaster, but Jeremiah the prophet. See, Jeremiah was a guy who who heard from God, and what he heard from God, he then gave to other people. But the problem for Jeremiah, since Jeremiah was a tiny little boy, the things that God told him to say was not always the greatest. It wasn't like going to Israel and saying to Israel, hey, God says that you all won the lottery. It was things like, God says that you've turned against him and God's going to destroy you. It was not good things that Jeremiah was saying. But Jeremiah himself was a good guy. Jeremiah was a guy who loved God, who who committed his life to God. And when God told him things, no matter what it was, he would still go and tell people, even if people didn't like what they were hearing. But the problem for Jeremiah, Jeremiah started going through some seasons in his life when it felt like all that God had planned just wasn't working out. Have you ever felt like that in your life that you know God's got a plan for your life, but, but you're going through life and it's like, God, what's happening to your plans? It's like they're crumbling down. It's like, God, what happened to your tactics in my life? They're just not working. And Jeremiah got to a point in his life when he started to lose and he was losing in 
life. If you've got your Bibles, I want to turn you to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. In the middle of the game of life, this is what happened to Jeremiah. He said this. Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this compliment. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? Has anyone ever like asked that of God? Why are evil people prosperous? I mean, sometimes these questions, like I don't think we'll ever have an answer in life to these questions. And Jeremiah was asking the same thing. Then verse 2, he said this. You have planted them, and you have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. Set them aside to be slaughtered. He's like losing in life, and he wants everybody else to lose in life as well. In verse 4, he says this. How long must this land mourn? Even the grass in the fields has withered. The wild animals and birds have disappeared because of evil in the land. For the people have said, the Lord doesn't see what's ahead of us. So Jeremiah is in this place where it feels like life is just crumbling down. He's looking at the fields out in Israel. And once where there was crops, there are now no crops. Once where there was birds in the sky, the skies are desolate and there's no birds in the sky. It feels like everything in life is coming crashing down. And even the people around Jeremiah are rejecting God. They're saying, God doesn't even know what's ahead of us. This is what they're saying. They're saying, the plan of God is not working. The plan of God is not working in this place. Deep down, Jeremiah was in his own half, deep in his own half, at his own 20-yard line. Those around him had given up. And it was in this moment that Jeremiah decided to go in for one of those half-time team talks. He decided to go before God and, 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 and ask God, what is going on? He says, God, your plan is not working. Your tactics are not working. Everything else is just crumbling down. What is going on? And once Jeremiah decided to actually shut his mouth, and sometimes we can do that. We can go on and on and on and on at God, and God's like, just be quiet for a moment. I've got something to say. This is what God said. It was like the ultimate halftime team talk. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. God said to Jeremiah, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan River? He's saying this. He says, if you're tired and fed up, with what's going on around you. Then what's going to happen. When you're racing against the real competition. The horses. 
If you're stumbling just on open ground where, 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 where there's, there's no traps, what's going to happen when you get into the places in life where things are going to trap you and bring you down? Basically, God was saying this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're complaining about all this, but I've got so much more for you. See, Jeremiah, if you can't handle this, then how will you handle the pressure when I take you further? Jeremiah, if you can't handle this, then how will you compete when the stakes are higher? He's saying, Jeremiah, if you can't handle this, then how will you get through when the opposition is tougher? See, the victory is going to be so much sweeter and the accomplishment is so much greater, but it means that it's going to be tougher to live. Life's going to be harder. Right now you're running against men, but soon you're going to be running against horses. Right now you're walking through the open lands, but soon you're going to be walking through the thickets and the weeds near the Jordan River. This is what God is saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, condition yourself to go further, to reach deeper, and to fly higher because I'm taking you to another level. And I'm here to tell you today that I think God is taking us as a church and you individually in your families and your lives to another level. But the problem is we've been so consumed and, 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 uh, and, and, and pulled down by the problems, our current problems and our current situations. Whether it's your finances or whether it's your actual physical body or whether it's your relationship with God or relationships with other people. We've been so pulled down. And if that's happening right now, what's going to happen when God's going to take you further? What's going to happen when you're not just playing just a, a regular season game, but you're playing a playoff game or the Super Bowl? What's going to happen when that happens? If you're being pulled down right now, he's saying, Jeremiah, condition yourself. And I think God is saying to us today as a church that we need to condition ourselves to be ready for what God is going to do in our lives and in our church. See, for Jeremiah, it wasn't that Jeremiah didn't love God because he did love God. It wasn't that, I don't think it was that Jeremiah just was, not, was out of shape. You know, he wasn't physically running with men and then physically running with horses. I don't think it was about a physical thing with Jeremiah. It wasn't even with Jeremiah about his prayer life with God or whether he had enough finances to do what God wanted him to do. It wasn't about his relationship with others. I think it was all about this one thing. It was all about Jeremiah's heart. It was all about his heart because conditioning starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. So basically it was this, Jeremiah, do you trust God's plan? Do you trust God's plan? Do you trust that God's plan is perfect for your life? And I say to you today, in your lives, do you trust God's plan? See, God's got a plan for you. And there'll be times when this plan, it feels like it's not coming together. It feels like the opposition is coming. It feels like things are happening all over the place. That It doesn't look like God is in it. And it looks like you're losing in life. But it's in those moments, do you trust God's plan? Do you trust that God has a perfect plan for your life? See, as we think about the things that we're going to learn over the next four weeks, there's going to be some things you're like, Alex, I don't want to do that. And I'll be honest, I'll be like, yeah, me neither. But it's God's plan. 
There'll be times over the next four weeks where, where you, you will hear things about how to condition your, 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 your life spiritually, physically, emotionally. And I ask you today, will you prepare your hearts to hear what God has for your life? Will you prepare your hearts to hear what is required so you can fulfill the plan that God has for you? You know, I have, a, I have mentors in my life, people who speak into me. And just before Christmas, one of my mentors said this to me. He says, just out of the blue, Alex, how are you doing physically? How are you doing physically? And I'm like, well, I need to lose about 15 pounds. You know, like we always say that. It's like the stock answer, 15 pounds, right? And he was like, but what's that going to do? What's that going to do? He goes, you've got to take care of your whole body, everything, so you can be who God has called you can be, so you can lead in the way that God needs you to lead. And I say in your life, whether you're a parent or a spouse, you know, husband or wife, or you're a leader in your, in, your, in your workplace, in a business, you know, whether you're a leader with your friends, how are you going to do what God has called you and created you to be if you're not conditioned right? It'll just be like me in a soccer game. Huffing and buffing, blowing for 30 minutes and then walking around like a zombie in the last 60 minutes and losing the game. Prepare your hearts for the incredible plan God has for you. Prepare your hearts to trust in God even when the game gets tough and life gets tough and it seems like God's plan isn't working. Ultimately, we need to prepare our hearts for life change. And to change our lifestyles as well. I want you to bow your heads in prayer. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. I want you to be honest with yourself. Honest with your hearts. Honest with your soul today. If God was to give you more money. Would you be faithful in using that money for his good? If God was to make you physically fit, so that you had more energy than you could ever imagine, would you use that energy for the purposes of God? If God was to take away the anxiety of just relational discord that you may have in your life, would you focus more on God? If God would, was to reveal himself to you, make himself known, that you'd feel his presence more and more, would you spend more time in communication with him? See, this morning while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I hope that we weren't. But it's all to do with a heart thing. See, when God changes our hearts, we want to condition our lives so that we can do more for Him. And so while you're in this place today, I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray for your lives. I'm going to pray that through this series that God is going to just change some of you, change some of your lifestyles, that you become so much more 
in your lives, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your workplace than what you currently are right now. But I ask that you'll open your hearts to God, to what He says. That it will be a soft and tender heart, not a heart that rejects what God says, but it will be a heart that receives.